scripture reading this morning is from Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 through 18. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Thank you, Vern, for reading. So let me start right here. I do not judge. If you still have your Christmas lights up, although it is January 16th, I don't judge you. However, I'll put my cards on the table. Ours are normally down by New Year's, partially because I just after the, the presents and the parties and uh, the decorations and the overeating, I'm kind of ready to turn a page and like, let's, let's bring the decorations down. However, what I found this week in studying in the book of Hebrews is Hebrews is going to say to us, don't leave Christmas so fast, not so fast. The fact that Christ has come to earth, we can't leave that too quickly. The fact that God has come in flesh, we need to sit in that for a while. And Hebrews 2, I think is one of the greatest, if not the greatest passages to make sure we fully appreciate the reality and significance of Jesus, God the Son, coming in flesh, what we call the incarnation. So I want to spend some time here, and I think it'd be helpful to really frame this with two questions. So two questions that we're going to pull apart. One of those questions is how did God the Son become human? And the other is going to be why did Jesus, why did the Son become like you, become human. How did God the Son become like us, like you, a human? How did that happen and why? So if we start with that first question, how? How did God the Son become human like you? The passage that Vern read, there's so many things to pay attention to. Of course, the starting point is the starting point is with the Son, Jesus, who has always been. In some ways, there isn't a starting point with him. Because he's always been, he's eternal. And although he created everything, there never was a time where he wasn't. So that's what Scripture will teach us. And it's, it's important that we remember that. Especially because we're going to talk about where, where he came from and what he came to. And we've got to be reminded he's always, he's always existed, which is hard for human minds to comprehend. Actually, theologians will call what Jesus did in coming from glory from heaven to earth, they will call that his humiliation. And it's not that hard to put together exactly why that would be exactly the description we would want to make. How? So the question is, how did Jesus become like you? 
And so Hebrews starts to answer that. I hope you keep Bible open. Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 6 is where I'd like to even pick up and, and reread in Hebrews. So Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 6 says, it's been testified somewhere. Actually, the reference would be Psalm 8. What is... What, what are humans? What is man that you are mindful of him? And the son of man that you care for him? Because you have made, again, humans, you've made him a little lower than the angels. You've crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. But now I'm putting everything in subjection to him. He left nothing outside his control. But then there's this caveat, at present we don't see that. At present we don't see everything in subjection to humans, but we do see him. Namely, Jesus, him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. Verse 9, there's a whole lot there, but verse 9 says, how did God become like us? Well, first it tells us he was made lower. It's the words there in verse 9, he was made lower. Although the original design of God for humans in Genesis 1 and 2, when God, did, when God creates humans, he says, this is very good. God is mindful of humans and cares for humans. Again, Psalm 8 reminds us of that. Crowns humans with glory and honor. But we don't see humans occupying that perfect space now. It isn't completely what we see now. According to verse 8, the world's become actually not just a place where everything is very good, but a, a place where things are very broken because of sin. Humans now, we don't seem to have this a position of glory and honor as much as we, we recognize we're living under a curse. Humanity after, after the fall, after sin enters the world, is, is kind of brought lower, made lower. We're a world subject to all kinds of problems and political arguments. And we've certainly seen over the last couple of years of viruses and we Things aren't good, and we know that. So many things humans make, they make a mess of. And so this world, it doesn't feel much like it's, it's subject to us. Humans know problems and pain. We don't reach what seems to be our full potential. We face all kinds of frustrating limits. And that is, that is the world. That is the reality in which Christ was made flesh. Jesus was made human like you. He was made lower but Hebrews describes it in other ways. How else did Jesus become human like you? It tells us in verse 14, the verse that Vern read a moment ago, that he partook of flesh and blood. Verse 14 says, since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, partook of flesh and blood. Is there a more human description? When you, when you get to cells and skin and organs and blood, when you get to humans and hunger and digestion and vulnerabilities and arteries and emotions and ligaments and bones and cancer and Alzheimer's and muscles and brain chemistry and, and asthma and bodies that are different and bodies that fail to work, we recognize this is, the, this is exactly what the Son leaned into. God the Son partook of flesh and blood. He became like you. How did he become like you? He he took on flesh and blood. The son chose that. How, how did Jesus become like you? Jesus became human. How? Well, this passage also tells us in verse 10, he suffered. And in verse 18, it tells us he was tempted. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he suffered and was tempted. So Jesus, before he 
comes in the flesh. God the Son, it doesn't, doesn't really enter that realm of suffering quite like it we see on this earth. A realm of suffering because we're humans. Think of all the relational conflict, all the misunderstandings. I didn't mean to say that. And you took, I, I, this it never should have gone that way. And think about all that, that just by being human, you have to deal with. Think of all the hurt, all the sobs, all the times you're marginalized, all the times you feel defeated, all the harsh words spoken in your direction, all of that. This is the world that Jesus gave. He partook of flesh and blood. He suffered and was tempted. Think of the suffering of life. Think of the different stages. Think of the, the pain that is endured at times in middle school that can't easily be dismissed. Those are difficult times to walk through in high school, and then you get into middle age, and then you go through aging. These, these are not easy times. And think of all the suffering, the heartbreak, the disappointment, the grief, the loss. And Jesus entered into an existence where he knew full well he would suffer. He suffered and was tempted. Think of the temptation. Think of a very powerful enemy who makes it their mission to destroy your life. To tempt you. To try to say there are alternate paths. Resist every effort you have to make people's lives better. Jesus chose to be human like you. How did that happen? He suffered and was tempted. And in what ways did Jesus become human like you? Oh, it was in every way because his life ended, according to verse 9, in tasting death. We see Jesus crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. And when I talk about death, we're not talking about something... Uh, clinical as if we're in a surgical lab and we can kind of take a step away. No, no, none of us take a step away from it all. We realize the everything stripped away, not able to respond to the painful separation that comes with death. And then you just add to that, not just anyone's death, but the death we know that Jesus endured. Recognizing that as he is dying, he is being forsaken. The death that Jesus endured while he's trying to take care of his mom and make sure he provides for her, gives direction for her, he's being mocked and insulted by people that he came to forgive. The full human experience of tasting death, being cut off, no earthly resources to change this. Completely, completely humiliated. The progression is difficult to take in. It's supposed to be. God, God the Son made lower, flesh and blood, suffering and tempted, tasting death. It's meant to tell us. He identifies present tense. He identifies with the world, the reality you live in. We don't have to ask that question. It's been answered. He entered into that world and became like us. So many things just seem neat and clean if they stay divided. So it makes sense in my mind why, why heaven and earth would like keep those divided. 
clear lines of separation, or God and us, clear line of separation, holy and unclean, clear line of separation. They're different, and it makes sense that like it's neat and it's clean to keep them separate, and God comes to earth, and God comes to be with us, and our categories are meant to get blown up there. God becoming a human, and whatever we do, we're, we're meant to go, I, 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 don't even, I don't even have categories for this. Because of the entrance of God into our world. And if, if we feel like, oh, no, no, it makes total sense to me, then maybe we haven't appreciated the magnitude of what it meant for God in heaven to come to earth. Some worldviews, some religions are certainly trying to, like, help humans get to God or try to make heaven out of this earth. And kind of the subtle mo- message in the worldviews and the religions is if we do enough, we can, maybe we can, can work our way back. Maybe we can try to create utopia, right? Heaven, heaven on earth here. And, and we'll just keep working at it. And maybe, maybe we can do enough and get kind of right with God and right internally. And maybe we can do enough right to help our world and our environment and just to be clear on what the Bible says. That 100% is not going to happen because of our effort. We're not going to put it back together. We're not going to make it all right again. We would never get there on our own. We could try for a billion years and we'd never get there on our own. Which is why God, the Son, becomes flesh and does for us what we will not and cannot do on our own. He identifies with us. And I love there's just a, a couple verses tucked in here as well be, because it's a very humbling thing to be cared for by God so well. And that there could be, it could even play with your mind of like, well, okay, God identified with us. Jesus came like us. But did he even want to? I mean, did, did he, like, is that just something he had to do? And then you read in the middle of this chapter in verse 11, He who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. This is why he's not ashamed to call them brothers. Call us brothers and sisters. This is why Jesus would say, and it quotes some Old Testament references, I'll tell of your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation. I'll sing your praise. I'll put trust in him. And and again, it, it, it gives words in Jesus' mouth. Behold, I and the children of God children God has given me. So it's, it's not as if Jesus is embarrassed or ashamed to identify fully with us. It's actually, it's telling us something else. It's telling us he, he counts it a joy to identify with us. And all the mess that we bring into this room, and he counts it a joy to be in the midst of this mess, this group of people, all the human weakness we know. And he counts it a joy and says, these are my brothers. These are my sisters. This is the group. This is total identification with us. And when you start digging deeply into the how, it quickly puts you into the, like it's so humbling, it puts you into the question of why. Why did Jesus become human like you? Why? I pause with just, I, I feel like whenever you answer the why questions and God's involved, there ought to be a really, really strong dose of humility. Because we'll never fathom all all the elements of exactly why. We're never going to exhaust that. I don't know that this brain is ever going to put all that together. And yet, 
I actually do want us to go, why? Why did Jesus become human like us? Because actually in Hebrews 2, there is this wording you come across again and again. And, and there will be some reference to Jesus becoming human. And then following that will be so that he might, and then kind of fill in the blank, so that this would happen. And so it's like, okay, we can process some things. We may not understand why God would choose to do it this way. And yet we also can appreciate the purposes and the results of what exactly God was doing. God determined to become human like us. Why did he do that? Well, Hebrews tells us one of the reasons why is we were facing the prospects of living in a world that's just hopelessly diminished because of sin. So if you have to live in a world that all the time is going to be frustrated, and what if you had to, what if you had to face the prospects that you would continually miss the mark? You would need to grow as a person, but you never would grow. You need to be holy, but there's no realm, no, no ability for you to be holy. You want to be whole on the inside, and that's off the table. What if that was the possibility? What if you knew that things would never be brought back? You never would make your life fire on all cylinders. There will always be this frustrating element. When you read in verse 10, it actually puts it this way, for it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, it was fitting that he should make the founder of their salvation, which is a reference to Jesus there, the founder of their salvation, should make him perfect through suffering. It's a little bit disorienting to read the words like Jesus made perfect. Like you have to make sure you get the right understanding of perfection. So this is not the perfection morally of like we try to do no wrongs. Actually, the, the perfection in mind here that Jesus was made perfect it's like when you find the perfect person for the job or the perfect tool or program that you needed. It's like it's, it's able, it's adequate, it's equipped. It can get the job done. And we look at Jesus. It says he was made perfect, capable, competent, equipped in every way through his suffering so that he might bring many sons and daughters to glory. You're not alone. He will bring you to glory, not even so much clouds and harps or even like streets of gold, all, all of that, although that, that's definitely a part of it. No, no, he's bringing you back to the creation. You were designed to be very good and he's going to bring you all the way there. Jesus, it says, is the founder of, of salvation. Other translations and paraphrases say he's the pioneer because the word is telling us he leads the way. He's the trailblazer. He's, uh, some even would say the, the champion. So he's the one that goes, goes before, just like Moses leading the people out of Israel. Jesus is the one, the trailblazer, the, the, the pioneer, the champion that goes out. And, and we, would, we could not get what we needed on our own. And Jesus says, I know what they need. They cannot do this on their own. And I'm going to fight for them. And I'm going to win. And I'm going to bring them to 
glory. And then he goes out and wins and succeeds over the demonic and over disease and over nature and over conflict. Jesus became human. Why did he become human? Verse 14 gives us another reason. It's an important reason. Verse 14 says, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of these same things. Why did he do that? That through death he might destroy. He might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Do you see the words? It's actually Jesus comes with a destructive mission and a delivering mission. A a destructive mission in that we were facing the devil. We were facing the one who has the power of death in his hand and can, can use that terrifying power to create fear, to hold you under that fear for a lifetime. And what if you were alone facing the devil who can take life like that? What if you're powerless? What if everything could and would be taken away and could be done in a millisecond? What if it was, none of it was permanent, none of it had hope? What if it all had no purpose? What if there was malicious intent ready to take away everything valuable? What if it was also random and chaotic? That fear and that power had to be dealt with. And remember, he partook in flesh and blood all the way to death to tell us, you're not alone. And in that, in that mission, he comes to destroy someone, and that is Satan himself. He's identified with you not just to help, but to destroy. Think of military, eliminate the target. Done forever. No longer will cause grief. No longer will, will wreck your life. He will destroy the devil through his death. So you might feel at times like you're going down, someone is bringing you down, the world is going down, and nothing's going to be the same, and everything's going to be taken away. And that is, that is a dark, those are dark places to go, and we go those dark places at times. And there in our fear, Jesus comes to destroy all of the works of the devil and the devil himself, and comes to deliver those who are terrified that it all may be taken away. Why did Jesus become human like you? To destroy the devil. To deliver you. But even more than that, Jesus knows we would face all of our sin and its consequences. I don't think there'd be any takers if I said, anybody perfect in the room today? I, don't, I would hope, I would hope. There's enough humility, at least 1% humility, just to say, nah, nobody's perfect. Okay, that's right. Yet that comes with a cost. That comes with consequences. That comes with its own guilt and shame. And then you read in verse 17 where it says, Therefore, Jesus had to be made like his brothers, like us in every respect, so that he might become a merciful, a faithful high priest in the service of God to make atonement or make propitiation for the sins of the people. What if, what if that didn't happen? No, no, no. What if you sit alone? What if I think I make progress with my life only to regress? What if I sit with all the stupid stuff that I have done that hurts people? What if I promise to change, but then I relapse and it has to sit with me? What if I turn into the worst version 
of myself and I keep doing it enough where it actually becomes the new normal and people hurt because of it? What if someone at any moment can bring up something you deeply regret and there's nothing you can do about it and you have to sit under that forever, your worst day? What if you're all alone with that? What if the best we could do is like, I hope it goes okay for you. We just wish each other well and that's all we can do. But that's not the case. That's what I just want you to hear loud and clear. You're not alone. Remember, Jesus is made like you. He's become a merciful and faithful high priest. So all of your stigma, all of your shame, all of your guilt, he's made atonement. He's made the sacrifice. And then he's guaranteed the results of that, that God now looks on us favorably. He takes away our sin. And now the Father looks at us and welcomes us in grace. He isn't angry as I speak right now because of what Jesus did for us as a human. Why did Jesus do this? Why did Jesus become like us? If I, if I read the last verse, in verse 18, it's because we were facing temptation and the suffering that temptation can bring. And it says in verse 18, for because he himself has suffered when tempted, he's able to help. He is able to help. But again, can we reverse that for a moment? What if, what if he wasn't? What if there's no ability to call for help? No real help on offer? What if the best we could do is like, here's an article I read, I hope it's helpful. It's got a good, few good points. What if that was the best help you could get? What if the best help you could get were nicest person in the world wishing you luck? What if that's all there was? What if you were alone? But you're not. Because Jesus has become human like us, faced suffering and temptation. He's identified you. He's, he's helped. He can help. He's, he's qualified. He is ready to help. You've been deeply hurt. You've been taken advantage of. And the enemy whispers like no one cares and it's not getting better and you're stuck. Nothing can change. Nothing, nothing will happen and you will lose. And these verses remind us, Jesus would say that's a total lie. It's a total lie. And he would remind you of his ability and willingness to step in whatever mess has been made, whatever mess you've made, and help, and help, and help again. Can you begin to see why we shouldn't be so quick to, like we can pack away Christmas decorations and lights, but let's not be so quick to pack away what it means that God has become human. Sometimes when I'm preparing, you begin to think like, what hope is there if this is not true? What hope exists out there if Jesus cannot help us? What depth of pain do we feel? What depth of pain do we experience? Sometimes you listen. I, most of you know I love music. I love all kinds of music. And sometimes you hear in the words of songs written by, again, human beings who feel pain and ask questions just like we all ask. The musical Dear Evan Hansen has a few of those like really human things that push deep in asking questions. And they capture some real aspects of trying to verbalize what it looks like if nobody cares. And as I was thinking about what Christ means for us coming and being human, identifying with us, the first time I listened to the song Waving Through a Window, the song, I mean, it has a catchy tune. 
And then the next time I listened to it, it like has, a, has just a, such a deep note of sadness. And I, I wanted to read the words because it, it takes you to a very, very difficult place, and I think an honest place, a real place. So the song in the musical goes, I've learned to slam on the brake before I even turn the key, before I make the mistake, before I lead with the worst of me. Just give them no reason to, to stare, no slipping up. If you slip away, I've got nothing to share. No, I've got nothing to say. And then the chorus, on the outside, always looking in. Will I ever be more than I've always been? Because I'm tap, tap, tapping on the glass. I'm waving through a window, and I'm trying to speak, but nobody can hear. So I wait around for an answer to appear while I'm watch, watch, watching people pass. I'm waving through a window. Can anybody see? Is anybody waving back at me? The next verse says, we start with stars in our eyes, and we start believing that we belong but every sun doesn't rise and no one tells you where you went wrong. And then the bridge, when you're falling in a forest, there's nobody around. Did you ever really crash? Did you make a sound? And then the question gets like, did I even make a sound? Will I ever make a sound? Because I'm on the outside always looking in. Will I ever be more than I've always been? I'm tapping on the glass, waving through a window. I try to speak. Nobody can hear. I wait around for an answer to appear. I watch people pass, waving through a window. Can anybody see? Is anybody waving back at me? Is anybody waving? The song hits pretty close because this is what I believe to be true. I believe someone somewhere in this room is feeling all of those things, feeling all the isolation, all the emptiness, all the loneliness, all the desire for someone to just notice, someone to help, someone to care. So you hear the words expressed, and and it doesn't feel like we're playing games. It feels very, very real. It's painful because I want you to know, and I prayed all week that at least those that are in this room, you will know somebody cares. Not hypothetically, not because we're wishing upon a star, but you will know there is a contrast. Yes, there's a world in which you feel all alone, and no one helps, and no one rescues, and no one cares, but Hebrews brings us into another world, and the truth is, Jesus doesn't stand at a distance, but Jesus actually comes close. You're not just waving, waving through a window. He's not just waving through a window. He doesn't let you. He doesn't let you keep your distance from him. Whatever your relationship with God, it will not be at a distance. He comes close to you. He doesn't make you guess. He came to deliver you. He came to deliver you from fear. He came to walk you through your suffering and your temptation. He came to purify every bit of shame you feel, every bit of guilt, every bit of unworthiness you feel. He came to deal permanently with the terrifying prospect of death. He came to bring you to the Father. He came to bring you back to glory. And so we're not left wondering, does anybody see? Does anybody care? And I I think you've got to do something with that. And I do realize, I do realize, you can just shut him out because you think, that's nice for you to say, pastor, preacher, I don't really buy it. I don't really think it's real. I think none of that's true, and you can do that. And you can also make a choice. You can say, I just think... I. I got about a thousand more important things than that today. So I just am going to turn the volume down and go my way because I, I got a lot of stuff dealing with that. I, I guess there's a room for that to be true, but I don't know that I got time to think about it. And then there's one other way, and that's you could open the door to the fact that the one who made you, the one who loves you, 
And the one who came in human form, human flesh, tasted death for you, just might, just might really care. And you could today, in your seat, turn and trust. And it could make a difference for your week. I'm, I'm saying it could make a difference for eternity. And church, I just have to say this. More than anything on my heart, I want us to be the community. I want us to grow into this. We'll never do this perfectly, but I want us to be the community of the one who became human. So when whoever walks in the doors, whatever week they've had, whatever mess they've made, they come into the community of Jesus, the community of the one who suffered and was tempted. And not just when they come in here, but then we leave, don't we? And we can extend to break rooms and to front porches and into text messages and email inboxes and we can communicate the one who became human. We are the community of the one who became human. And we can extend that care again and again and again. I want to pray that if you have not met this one who like, came all the way, that you meet him before you leave today. I want to pray for you like that. Pray for you to even have courage to face some of the questions you have because you probably don't have all the answers. None of us do. And I also want to pray just for, I want to pray for our community to be the community of the one who cared that deeply. Father, these are serious times and these are serious words. And so, uh, as much as we love to decorate and then undecorate for Christmas, we cannot, we cannot escape, not any day of the year, the depth to which you showed you cared for us. Thank you for your humiliation. Thank you that you were made lower, partook of flesh and blood, suffered and tempted, that you tasted death for everyone. And I pray that death would have such an impact on our lives that whatever religious game we thought we could play, it stops today. And we get very real with the one who bled for us. And I pray that our community would not just be assembling every week because it seems like a good thing to do, but we would assemble and then we would, we would go into this world and be the community of the one who became flesh for us. So Lord, we need your help in that. Turn our good desires into actions. Turn our, our hope here to be something into more than just hope, turn it into reality. And I pray for a world that is wondering if anybody cares. And I pray even specifically for Newcastle County and Newark and UD and so many other places, so many high schools that need to know you care. And I pray, give us the privilege in 2022 of being the voice of you, telling people, absolutely, our Father cares. And we have Jesus' death and resurrection to prove it. Let us do that in a million conversations this year. We ask it all in his name. Amen.